0: One of the things I just want to remind you real quick, this coming uh, Friday night, several of us will lose our minds and we'll come up here at 7 p.m. and we'll stay until uh, midnight for Secret Church. You're invited to attend Secret Church. Uh, It is a simulcast. It'll be happening all over the United States. Uh, David Platt is the one that leads it. It's five hours of teaching on fasting, prayer and the pursuit of God. It is worthwhile. You can go on Realm on our you can go to our church website to link over to it, or if you know how to get on Realm, go on Realm, sign up for it. The cost is eight dollars. You get this book to do. You can just show up and purchase it at the door. We have room for fifty people. So invite you to come this coming Friday night to secret church. One of the things that they teach you in, in preacher school to never do when you preach is you never open with a with an apology. You never open with an apology it immediately puts you in a position of weakness and makes your audience think that maybe you've got problems and i want to open today with an apology (laughs) that's the way this kind of thing works i sat down to write a traditional easter sermon i went to the the, i'm going to read the the crucifixion story and we were going to go that direction and i sat in my study for eight hours maybe typing five or six words at a time and it just would not come out of my fingers so i kept going back to last wednesday i was invited to preach the uh, holy week service the Wednesday service over at the uh, Great United Methodist Church and I kept that sermon just wouldn't get out of my head. It just kept coming back. And I kept saying to the Lord, Lord, I can't preach that sermon again because about 12 of our folks showed up and heard it and it would be a rerun for them. And he said, that's okay, they need to hear it. Not really. What he really said was this, be very grateful that you've got some church members who were free during the day on Wednesday, who's very graciously came over to the Methodist Church to hear the Word of God preached, to be with their friends, and to support their pastor. And it is a very humbling thing, and you are very kind and very gracious for doing that, and y'all don't know how much I appreciate it, and I apologize for inflicting the same sermon on you again. It has been updated just a little bit, of course, but the message is is it's the message it's what we need to hear today so that's where we're going now i do want to read the crucifixion story don't want you to go there don't turn in your bibles when you turn in your bibles i want you to turn to the book of hebrews chapter 12 it's after all the t's the thessalonians and titus and timothy and there's flaming and then there's and then there's hebrews You want to go there, 12, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. That's where the the main body of the message comes from. But we're here because of what happened in Luke 23 and Luke 24. Logan's already read Luke 24, the resurrection. But let's talk about how we got to the resurrection. Just want to read it to you. If you need to close your eyes and envision it, please do. Don't go to sleep. You'll miss something. Beginning with verse 23, Luke 23 says, but they kept the pressure demanding with loud voices that he be crucified and their voices won out. So Pilate decided to grant their demand and released the one that they were asking for who had been thrown into prison for rebellion and murder, but he handed Jesus over to their will. As they led him away, they seized Simon, a Cyrenian who was coming in for the country and laid him on the cross. They laid the cross on him to carry behind Jesus. A large crowd of people followed him, including women who were mourning and lamenting him. But turning to them, Jesus said, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and your children. Look, the days are coming when they will say, blessed are women without children, the wombs that never bore, the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things, when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others, criminals, were also led away to be executed with him. When they arrived at the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing. And they divided his clothes and cast lots. The people stood watching and even the leaders were scoffing. He saved others, let him save himself if this is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him. They came offering him sour wine and said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. An inscription was above him, this is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other answered rebuking him, don't you even fear God since you're undergoing the same punishment? We're punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things that we did, but this man's done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Jesus remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was about noon, darkness came over the whole land until three because the sun's light failed. The curtain of the sanctuary was split down the middle and Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. Saying this, he breathed his last. When the the centurion saw what happened, he began to glorify God saying, this man really was righteous. All the crowds that had gathered for the spectacle, when they saw what had happened, what had taken place, they went home striking their chests. But all who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. There was a good and righteous man named Joseph member of the Sanhedrin who had not agreed with their plan and action. He was from Arimathea, a Judean town, and he was looking forward to the kingdom of God. He approached Pilate and asked him for Jesus' body. Taking it down, he wrapped it in fine linen and placed it in a tomb cut into the rock where no one had been placed. It was the preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed along and observed the tomb and how his body was placed. Then they returned and prepared spices and perfumes and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. Let's pray. Father, this morning I pray that we would hear but one voice and it would be yours. I know that there is an evil one who wants to own us. I know that there are things that are Happen that we cannot see. Words that are whispered in our ears, things to draw us away. We know that we're busy. We know we have a million things to do. Today is not just Easter, but it's Easter. We have plans, family to see, things to do. Father, I pray that in this hour, as you say many times in your word, that you would open up eyes and open up here ears that they would hear and eyes that would see. And that for the first time, or maybe Lord, for the first time in a long time, we would see the glory of being a child of God. Lord, if you don't do it, they're not gonna hear. And if we don't hear, we go home unchanged, and that would be a sad thing. Please, Father, forgive me of my sins. Keep my mind clear and focus totally on you. Help us to hear Jesus and him alone this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Danny Dubose has helped us a little bit. He's gone onto Facebook and posted something the other day. He and I talked about this a while back. It's the definition of the word passion. If you look at the Merriam-Webster dictionary, you'll see the word passion says, the sufferings of Christ between the night of the last supper and his death. And you don't have to look down in the definition. It's the very first one that's listed when you see the word passion. It is the sufferings of Christ between the night of the last supper and his death. The sufferings of Christ. Get that word into your head right now and hang on tight the sufferings the sufferings of Jesus Christ now you know I ask uh, I I apologize just a few minutes ago I said that's the wrong thing to do the wrong way to open up any kind of public speaking now I want to apologize again (laughs) twice in the very beginning this could be a disaster right yeah well here's the deal reason I'm going to apologize again I'm going to ask you to do something that I hate to do all right When I'm sitting, I've got a rebellious streak. We all have a rebellious streak. I sit in the back and when some preacher comes in and says, okay, raise your hand if so-and-so, I usually sit in the back and I say, I ain't raising my stupid hand. You ought to do better not have to have me raise raise my hand. I need you to raise your hand today, okay? When I ask you, I got four questions to ask. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand because we need to see a visual. We need to see, we need to see. We need to see how this thing works. So, let's just get on with it. Here it is. In the last year, in the last year, have you or someone you know had a car accident? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. All right? All right, thank you very much. In the last year, have you or someone you know been seriously sick and hospitalized? Greg, raise your hand, son. I know you were there. I saw you. Raise your hand. All right? All right. Third question. In the last year, have you, do you know someone? Is there someone that you loved, someone that you still love, or someone that you know that has died? Raise your hand. All right, last question. How many of you raised your hand all three times? See, there's an obvious point to be made here. A very obvious point. We will all suffer. We'll all suffer every last one of us will suffer there's no escaping it suffering visits everybody we know and it visits us and when we suffer we feel alone we feel heartbroken we feel that there is no one that knows or understands we feel confused we have a million thoughts in our heads and people ask a question with all this suffering in the world why does a good god allow good people to have bad things happen to them. When I was in seminary, we took a whole semester to study called theodicy, the problem of evil. How does a good God let bad things happen to good people? And, and we studied, and there's a million theories out there, but I've come to one spot. I finally, this, I, this is Randy, this is my one spot that I fall on. There's sin in the world because we chose it, and he led us. See, we all have a rebellious streak. It's not just me that's rebellious. You think of yourselves and the the time when you were a little child and your mama and your daddy said, "Don't you step one foot out of," and the minute your mama wasn't looking, you went just to show your mama that you ain't in charge, old woman. I am, right? Every last one of us. Every last one of us. Every last one of us. We have a rebellious streak, and see. The Lord, when he created us and put our ancestors in the Garden of Eden, he said, I will let you choose. And they chose. And when we choose to do it on our our own, that rebellious streak is there. That brought sin into the world. Sin brought death and disease and suffering. This morning in Sri Lanka, three churches were bombed. 200 Christians died this morning in Sri Lanka. Why did that happen? Because sin is in the world. Because we invited it in. Because God allowed us to choose. We will all suffer. The book of Hebrews, we don't know who wrote it. We don't have a clue. A lot of people think Paul wrote it. They think Paul wrote it. It's got some Pauline concepts in it. It sounds a little bit like Paul, but it's sort of like Paul writing a writing a, a term paper or, or a graduate paper I don't know about you guys I know me and I know that I've gone back after years and gone through my, my seminary stuff and my college stuff and I've read a couple of those papers and the guy that wrote those papers was smart you know have y'all ever done that gone back through your old stuff run across an old paper that you wrote and when you read the paper you went dude I was smart what happened where did that go I was brilliant. Well, maybe that's what happened to Paul. You know, maybe he's writing this academic treatise and that's what we got in the book of Hebrews. Some people said, this is shameful, that a woman may have written it. There are some things, you are supposed to go, there are some things in there that are sort of feminine way of saying things and sort of feminine concepts. And there are some scholars that said that maybe a woman had a little something to do with that. We know that can't be right because women don't talk that much. But anyway... What we do know, yeah, it was a little joke. Y'all can kill me for it. Uh, What we do know is whoever wrote it, man, woman, whoever it was, whoever wrote the book of Hebrews had something to say about suffering. Had something very important to say about suffering. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore... Since we also have a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, And sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, so that you won't grow weary and give up. We started with the therefore, so we have to see what it's there for. (laughs) You guys don't know a corny joke when you hear one, do you? I picked that up from an old pastor one time and it gets stuck in your head and it won't go away. When you see a therefore, you've got to find out what it's there for. Well, you have to go back. You have to go to the last chapter. You have to see what was in that chapter and the argument that the writer is trying to make. And in the last chapter, when you go back, you hear... That it is the hall of faith, all these giants of the, of the faith that they names them one after another and tells you a little bit about them. Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Rahab. And then the writer is obviously Baptist because he's like every Baptist preacher. He says too much, doesn't have enough time. He realizes he's running out of time and he says, listen, I haven't gotten time enough to tell you anymore so let me summarize the rest of it for you. And that's where we're going to read, starting with verse 32 in chapter 11. He says this, and what more can I say? Time is too short. Sounds like a Baptist preacher, right? Time's too short for me to tell you the rest of this. Here he is. Time is too short. What more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who by faith... "...conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength and weakness, became mighty in battle and put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Other people were tortured, not accepting release so that they might gain a better resurrection." Others experienced mockings and scourgings as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They died by the sword. They wandered around in sheepskin and goatskin, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in the deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground, All of these were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us so that they would not be made perfect without us. Did you hear? Did you hear the contrast? I know I read it real fast, but did you hear the contrast? Did you hear that some of them, he said, some of them, he said, conquered kingdoms, obtained promises, put foreign armies to flight. If they were on television, if they had modern social media, those would be the people that we were talking about, people we hold in high esteem, presidents, ambassadors, presidents of foreign countries, kings, all of these peoples, these leaders, he says, that did these things, that conquered kingdoms, attained promises, and put foreign armies to flight. Those are the people that we talk about. You know something that I find sadly amusing? Is that we are all in love with ball. We're all in love with ball. And this isn't just hammering on you. When my kids were born, the first thing I did was put a football in their crib. Now, if you are a guy or you're a gal that loves sports, you understand the smell of a football or a glove, don't you? You can nod, that's all right, you won't die. Help me here, don't you? You understand the smell. It gets in your bloodstream. It becomes a part of who you are. And I thought, I thought that if I took a football and I laid it beside my baby in a crib, that they'd inhale that aroma. And one day we'd be talking about them. And my children did play. They played the tuba, they played the trombone, and they played the clarinet, they did not play football. We're in love with football. We're in love with baseball. We're in love with soccer. We're in love with any sport. Last year, check me on the statistics. Go to the great Google in the sky and find out that I'm right. These are NCAA statistics. Last year, one over one million, million mostly boys, a couple of girls, but mostly boys played football last year. You hear the number? One million. Do you know how many last year went from high school into the NCAA class one, two, or three team? 74,000 of that one million. Out of the 74,000 and change that went to an NCAA class one, two, or three team, 255 were drafted into the NFL. Now, somebody's going to argue with me and say, Randy, not everybody goes to a NCAA class division one, two, or three school. So there were probably more that went to the NFL, and you are absolutely correct. One. One that did not go. That's 255 that were drafted in the NFL. Now, here's my point. Those are the ones we're going to talk about. Those are the kings that conquered enemies. Those are the ones that took over nations. Those are the ones that put our foreign competitors to flight. Those are the ones that we're going to cheer. The question I've got for us is that 255, what happened to the 999,745 that were left? I've got another question for you that you can raise your hand for. Anybody here that's played for the NFL, would you raise your hand? Oh Come on. Somebody did. How about that? 999,745. That's us. That's us. And when I look at the scripture and think about those people, they're the ones who were stoned, who were sawn in two, who died by the sword, who wander in sheepskin and goatskin, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. But now let's rightly divide the word. Let's make sure that we're not doing apples to oranges here. When he's talking about them suffering in the book of Hebrews, what he's talking about, those that conquered enemies or wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground, they did it because of their faith. Because of their faith, some of them, because of their faith, they became a great leader. Rarely. But some of them became a great leader because of their faith. But mostly, though, because of their faith, they suffered horribly at the hands of evil people. But they suffered nobly. And they suffered honorably. And do you know what the Scripture says about people that suffer nobly and honorably? It says that the world is not worthy of them. That they're held in such high esteem. The chances are pretty low that any of us are going to be called on to die for our faith. Somebody may do something funky today and blow up a church. There's a lot of churches in the United States. I think the last time I heard, 42,000, 75,000, I forget, there's a huge number of churches out there in the United States. Somebody may do something weird over here like they did in Sri Lanka last week. I mean, yesterday or this morning, actually, over there. It's earlier over there. But chances are not. And you know we're in this big kick right now, and I think it's a good thing that's going on in our country, that that Christians are getting a little back talk, that we're not a Christian nation anymore, that we, you know, there's something wrong with Christianity and that we're getting a little pushback on it. I think that's not a bad thing because it causes us to stand up and actually Stand up for what we believe in, hopefully, that we will refute some of these folks, that we will be bold. But the worst thing that's ever going to happen to us probably is somebody's going to get smart with us and say something bad to us. And we'll either get our feelings hurt and run and tuck our tails and hide somewhere, or we'll stand up to them and tell them what the truth is and then we'll walk away. That's probably the worst that's ever going to happen to us. But you know what? There's a lot of suffering to be done. We will not be, more than likely, most of us will not be called on to suffer for our faith, but we will all be called on to suffer faithfully. Did you hear? Did you hear? More than likely, we will not be called on to suffer for our faith, but we will be called on to suffer faithfully. Now, if you wanted to, you could take... You could take our PA. You got one. Don't look at it right now because it hurt my feelings. You'd quit listening. But you could take our PA. That's what we we'll call this. This is our prayers and announcements. Get it? P-A. Yeah. PA system. Yeah. Sandra named it, so it's not my fault. Um, you get your PA and you look at our PA. You can see on there a whole list of people on the prayer side that are suffering. We have one of our members here this morning who's suffering with ALS. We have several of our members who are suffering with Parkinson's. We have several people that have battled prostate cancer. We have a wide variety of other cancers. You can walk around and look at folks in the church and they'll have a bandaid on their forehead or the back of their head or on the side of their face or on their nose. And you know that they've been to the dermatologist and one more cancer has been taken away. Every one of us can see it. One of our members was in the hospital on Friday getting her vertebrae cemented back together again because she's fighting cancer for the third time and the radiation blew her vertebrae up, so it had to be cemented back together again. One of our members is making decisions right now about what to do about his stage four cancer. Another one of our members that we all know of is fighting for her life right now from a very aggressive form of a stage four cancer. We have people who have had miscarriages. We have people who have... Uh, who have children with autism and children with Downs, a member this week had a heart valve replaced while his wife was in rehab recovering from a compound fracture of her left foot that occurred while she's taking chemotherapy and having dialysis. Now, how big can their wheelbarrow be? And that's not everybody. And that's just the physical suffering. How many of you have suffered from broken hearts this year because somebody that you loved very, very much has died? How many of you have suffered because you stood before before a pastor in the eyes of God and you said, till death do us part, and you found out that that's not always true? How many of us have felt like somebody died when that happened? How many of us have had a partnership fail Or the job didn't work out. Or the money didn't work out like we thought it would. Or our bodies just got old and our brains didn't keep up. How many of us? How many of us? That's me, brother. That's the physical suffering. That's the mental suffering. I suspect most of us will never be called on to seriously suffer for our faith. But chances are almost one to one that we will be called on to suffer faithfully. And what do we do? What do we do? You're in church. The answer is Jesus, right? How does Jesus deal with how, what kind of help can Jesus give to a person who has neuropathy so bad that when they take the next step, they're not sure that their foot's on the floor or not because they can't feel it. How does Jesus help when a woman is standing in the shower washing her hair that she has loved and, and had quaffed every year or every week or whatever you call it, and had her hair fixed. All of this, and as she's washing her hair, it comes out in the handfuls. How does Jesus deal with that? What good is Jesus there? When you're standing in the middle of all of this, what good is he? Hebrews gives us two things. Number one, therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Guys, I don't know if you believe this or not. I believe it with all of my heart. We we've got we've got things in this world that we cannot see that they're here. Scripture Ephesians 6 says for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the cosmic powers of this darkness against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. We can't see these things physically, but we know they're there. We see when somebody bombs a church in Sri Lanka or in the United States of America, we know they weren't sent by God to do the bombing. There is something else going on there. And you know as well as I do because every one of us has this happen and do not tell me that you haven't, that you have that voice that whispers in your ear, that tells you things that you know are not true, that you can't do it, that you're not good enough, that you could never measure up, that God won't love you, that your wife doesn't love you, your husband Husband doesn't love you your parents don't love you you've had that voice whispering in your ear we know who's behind that we know that there's such a thing as angels I believe it with all of my heart I believe it right now that this room is full of angels I believe that every church in the United States and every church around the world right now even the churches in Sri Lanka were filled with angels when this horror went off I believe in angels and I believe that there's a great cloud of witnesses scripture saying it i believe it's real i believe there's a great crowd of witnesses the writer here that's one of the reasons people think it could be pauline paul always talks about athletic contests and he puts this picture that there's these witnesses standing in there they're in the stands and they're shouting for us and we're on the ground we're on the floor doing the race we're fighting the gladiatorial battles we are doing the athletic contest we're doing all of these things some of us are heroes. Some of, us are, some of the ones in the stands are heroes. Some of them are destitute. Some of them are conquerors. Some of them were mistreated. But they're all in the stands and they're all cheering at us. And they're all saying things to us as we're on the battle, living our life every day. And do you know what they're not saying? Do you know what they are not saying? They are not saying to you. I had it so much worse than you. Buck up. One of the things that people say to me all the time, they're suffering, they're hurting, they're in pain, somebody has has died, their heart broken over, and they'll say after they've said it for a while, they start feeling guilty because, you know, they're standing there with the preacher, and they think they're supposed to have all these thoughts, and so they turn to me and they say, but so many people have it so much worse than me. Forget that. It's your pain. Live in it. It's yours. It's between you and the Lord. These people that are in the stands, the Lord didn't put them there to tell you they had it so much worse than you. Quit being a wuss. Pull yourself up by the bootstraps. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. When you read the book that says all of the I am statements that you need to say to yourself, I am smart, I am kind, I am good, I am creative, I am successful, I am—you can tell all that self-talk to yourself until you throw up, and you know as well as I know it fails every time. I worked with AT&T. I've had motivational speakers come in, and when they leave the 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 auditorium, and I leave the auditorium. I'm ready to take on the world and do everything they said. I'm going to be the next CEO of this company. And then I get the next phone call, and I find out that all I heard was a good speech. These people in the stands aren't saying that. What these people in the stands are saying is this. Listen, this is what they're saying. I made it, and I'm no better than you are. I made it, and I am no better than you are. I was not special. I felt weak. I was weary. I was alone. I was scared. I was heartbroken. But I made it, and you can too. I made it, and you can too. Oh, but pastor... All but people, witnesses, witnesses, listen to me. Listen to my words, witnesses. You don't know what I've done. You have no clue what I've done. I've lied. I lied to my wife. I've lied to my children. I lied to my family. I lied to my job. I've lied to the people around me. I've lied to my church. You don't know what I've done. And in that cloud of witnesses, Abraham stands up and he says, I lied too." I told him that she was my wife. I mean, I told him that she was my sister. But she was my wife. I lied too. Oh, but you don't know what I've done. I committed adultery. I I destroyed my family. And a man in the cloud of witnesses with a crown on his head stands up. King David says, I did too. I had sex before I was married. And Rahab stands up and says, I did too. I don't believe in God. I doubt God. I'm not sure God's got the best best in mind for me. I'm not sure that his plan's going to work out for me. I know that you can't accept somebody like me. And Sarah stands up and she says, when the angels told my husband that I was going to have a baby and I was too old, I was past menopause, it was all done. I laughed. I did too. I don't care what you've done they don't care what you've done there's somebody in that great cloud of witnesses who has done exactly the same thing that you have done and they're there today saying I made it and you can make it too now how did they make it? how did they make it? how did they get there? how did you do it? Their answer was, I made it because of the one who was to come. He gave me the strength to make it. Point number two. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was laid before him. For the joy that was laid before him. He endured the cross. He despised the shame. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God for the joy that was laid, for the joy, for the joy, what kind of thing, think with me, what kind of thing brings so much joy that a man would face a beating? Have you seen the passion? Have you seen Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ? That is about as realistic realistic as it can get. What kind of joy would cause a man to endure a beating that literally ripped the flesh from his bones? What kind of thing would bring so much joy that a man would endure having spikes driven into his hands and into his feet? What kind of thing brings so much joy that a man would endure being stripped absolutely naked? Y'all know all those pictures you've seen that always has a wrapping around Jesus' midsection. You know those are not correct, right? He hung on the cross buck naked. There was nothing on his body from his feet tip of his toes to the top of his head. They played lots to, to divvy up his clothes. What kind of joy would cause a man to hang on a cross wearing no clothes, enjoying the humiliation, bleeding, bruised? Who? What kind of joy? What kind of thing? what kind of thing brings so much joy that a person would endure every injustice every discrimination every lie every murder every lust every gossip every gluttony every envy every greed every abortion every beating every lynching every bullying every child forced into sex slavery every abuse every sin that we've ever known sin after sin that we know that some of us have done and cannot admit to other people What kind of thing brings so much joy that that man who knew no sin, that knew no embarrassment, that knew no shame, that knew no guilt, that that man would take all of those sins and pour them on himself so that he would feel the shame and he would feel the humiliation and he would feel the embarrassment and that he would feel the separation from God? What kind of thing would bring that kind of joy? What kind of thing would cause a man to suffer faithfully until there was no life left in him to suffer? Jesus did it because he trusted the Father. He trusted the plan the Father had for him. He trusted the outcome that the Father had for him. He trusted the Father because he knew the father was good. That's why he did it. That was the joy that was laid before him. On the third day of his burial, the father whispered, that's enough. On the third day of his burial, the father father told his angels, you go down to that tomb. You roll the stone away and stand back. And when they did, the father spoke one word and he said, Jesus. And Jesus breathed. And he stepped out of that grave never to return again. The firstborn of many brethren. He appeared to his friends. He appeared to people that didn't know him. He ascended into heaven. But because he was obedient, because he suffered faithfully, because he trusted the Father, for this reason, for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father because of what he did. This is the kind of thing that brings so much joy that a man can endure the most heinous kind of suffering. A single-eyed focus on one thing: that the Father will deliver what the Father promised He would deliver. Because Jesus did that, because Jesus was obedient to death, even death on a cross, I have the same destiny. Do you not see? Do you not understand? you have the same destiny there is nothing you cannot endure there is nothing you cannot do when the father by his grace calls you to do it you can suffer gracefully you can be faithful jesus the author and perfecter of our faith the firstborn among many brothers the overcomer calls us to overcome he says himself Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame. And sat down with my father on his throne. He's going to bring us to a place when we overcome. Since then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity. And he will live with them. They will be his peoples. And God himself will be with them and and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief will be no more. Crying will be no more. Pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making all things new. Don't you want that? Do you not want that? Do you not want to be new? Are you satisfied with you to the way you are? Lord, help me. I hope not. I'm not. I I can't wait for the day that I'm made brand new. I can't wait for the day to walk into his presence and to to see it all strip away and pour out, and every ache and pain is gone. And I stand before the one who, through his power, walked through everything, knowing that the good father was going to take him where he needed to go. I stand at the door and knock, he says. I stand at the door and knock. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know, because I know who holds the future. Life is worth the living just because he lives. Because he lives, we can suffer faithfully so the world will know that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the point when we suffer faithfully. It's because we're going home. It's because we're going home. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I know you don't feel worthy. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I know that you feel like a failure. Behold, I stand at the door and knock and you have humiliation and you're ashamed. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and you are defiant, and you are rebellious, and you are proud. He doesn't quantify. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Open the door. Open the door. And I'll come in and I'll eat with you. And we'll talk. And you can tell me everything that I already know and then I'll make you brand new. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you've heard the offer that Jesus made to you. I stand at the door and knock. If your heart is breaking, if you need your sins washed away, you need to be made new, You've never trusted Jesus. You, didn't, you, you just don't know that his plan is gonna take you where you need to go. But you know your plan's not gonna take you where to go either because it hasn't up until now and you know it never will. And you know that you need a savior. Right now, would you pray this prayer with me? Lord, I give up my right to run my life and I hand that right over to you. I will follow you to the best of my ability from now on. Please be my Lord and Savior and save me. If you prayed that prayer sir, sir, sincerely, the Lord heard you. He's written your name down as his. We'll sing in just a moment and when we do, I ask you, tell the person beside you and, that you prayed that prayer and ask them to walk forward with you. And come down and talk to me. And let's get you started on your journey. For the rest of us, confession's good for the soul, right? Confess to the Lord that you're hurting. Confess to the Lord that you're disappointed. Confess to the Lord that you've got it made and you don't need him. Confess that to the Lord this morning. You don't need to pretend that you don't think it or you don't feel it, he already knows. Confess your heart to him and let him wash over your hurt with his love and his mercy and his grace. And maybe you want to partner with First Baptist, be a member as we learn, and that's what we're trying to do, learn to love Jones County so they can come to Jesus. You come forward too. I'll be down here waiting on you. Father, thank you for the salvation you provided through the blood of Jesus. Thank you for the unmerited favor you showed us, the grace that is greater than all of our sin, that you called us, that you saved us, that you are sanctifying us, and you will glorify us. Thank you for the beautiful, wonderful, powerful name of our Lord Jesus. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. the name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. Will you stand and sing with us?